Uh, my wife has actually been out of town all weekend. So you can imagine, I was an ironing machine this morning. You know, getting all the kids' clothes ready. And I don't know if they match or not, but they are dressed. They're here. I'm dressed. I'm here. And uh, I'm excited to be here. And so I hope you are as well. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 John. We're going to start a series on 1 John uh, over the next several weeks. And I believe this is going to be a very fruitful study as we dive into God's Word together. You know, I'm reminded just talking about family. You know, whenever my family gets together, and yours, yours is probably this way as well, when your family gets together, you begin to share stories. Some stories you've heard a few times, right? Well, you hear these stories, but sometimes you hear a story, and you're sitting there listening to the story, and then you realize they're telling a story about you, but they have just forgotten it was about you. <laughs> you know, so they're telling you the story about yourself, but they just forgot it was you. Maybe they thought it was another kid in the family. And so they tell a story, and then, you know, as the story goes on, you realize, okay, that's really not how it happened. <laughs> I was there. The story's about me. And so about middle ways through the story, you tell them, okay, you got the story wrong, wrong kid, wrong grandkid, it, it was about me, and this is how it went, right? And so when you hear a story like that, the first thing you do is you want to correct the person telling the story, and you want to tell them, Okay, you got some facts wrong. We need to change it around so we'll get the story right. And then you're going to ask them, okay, who told you that story like that? Because <laughs> I need to go back to the source and tell them, you got the story wrong. Let's, you know, try to get it right. And uh, let's, let's spread truths here about me. Well, that's, that's in a nutshell what John is doing here in 1 John. You know, John is writing to a number of different churches that he's familiar with. Because within these churches, there are, there are certain people that are coming out of the church and they're beginning to teach things that are not correct. They're beginning to teach error about who Jesus is and what Christianity is all about. And so he's writing them back and he's saying, this is not correct. This is not true teaching. And so John is writing this letter to respond to these errors that are coming out of these teachers that are coming out of the churches. And so, it's, it's like if you were to write a letter, or think of email, if, if some of you email, rarely do you email someone just to email them. Like, you don't just write them. Occasionally you might, but usually when you email someone, or you call someone, or you write a, someone a letter, what you're doing is you're responding to something. Maybe someone sent you an email asking you a question, you've got to send one back, or you need to give some clarification, so you respond. Well, 1 John and really most of the letters in the New Testament are what you would call occasional letters. They're letters that are dealing with certain situations. So something's happening, and so John is writing a letter dealing with that which is happening within the church. There's an occasion, there's a specific issue that's going on that John's addressing. Therefore, in these letters that you have in the New Testament... One letter may not unpack everything you need to know about Christianity, every single doctrine, because usually everything in Christianity is not in question. Usually it's certain aspects of Christianity. And that's what we're going to see in 1 John. There are going to be a few issues that are going to be the hot topics that are really uh, being taught wrongly, and 1 John is all about correcting that false teaching. And so follow along with me as I read the first four verses of chapter 1 of this letter 
that we'll be studying for the next several weeks. And if you don't have a Bible, we have one in the pew right in front of you. And if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to, to bring it with you every week. We're going to be walking through this letter together. And it will be really helpful for you to be able to follow along. So John starts by saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So in this short passage, I want to look at the evidences of the truth and the effects of the truth. And that's what we're going to see all throughout this letter. John is going to go back and show the church, this is what the truth is. And because this is what the truth is, this is the effect, this is what it produces in the life of the church. And so, the first evidence that he points out is that Jesus was from the beginning. Look with, look with me at verse 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So he's referring to Jesus here, and he's saying, when Jesus was here with me in the beginning, he's referring to the incarnation, when God took on flesh and dwelt among us, John is saying, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him, he was there with me, he was in the beginning. So he's referring to within his lifespan, his interaction with the Son of God. But then he goes even farther back in verse 2 when he says, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. So here John is saying, okay, Jesus, the Son of God, actually preceded the incarnation. The Son of God was with the Father eternally. And so the first truth that John is taking the church back to is that Jesus is the Son of God. He was with God in the beginning, and then He was made manifest to us in the incarnation. And so that's the first piece of evidence. The second piece of evidence of the truth he takes them to is how Jesus was made known. And this is really where the issue uh, was, was really coming to a head in the church. There was, a, there was a group within the church that was teaching differently than what John taught about how Jesus was made manifest or how the Son of God came to them and to the earth. And so this is what John says about how Jesus was made manifest. He gives us three descriptions of how Jesus was made known in verse 1 and 2 and then at the beginning of verse 3. This is what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, 
and proclaim to you the eternal life. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And before I unpack those three evidences, I want to share something that happened just over a week ago. Some of you know that I, I went on a field trip with my son's fourth grade class to Camp Rock Eagle last week. Well, it was just over a week ago. Well, leading up to this trip, going with the whole fourth grade class, leading up to this trip, I kept hearing about this class that we're going to take on herpetology. If you're like me, that meant nothing to me. Herpetology, what is that? Well, I found out that's the study of reptiles and amphibians. So the fourth graders, and specifically my son, was pretty excited that we're actually going to be looking at some reptiles and amphibians. And so we get to this camp, and then we, the time has come where we're going to study herpetology. And so the teacher brings us in, sits us around this, this square rug, and then she begins to bring in different reptiles and amphibians. Well, one of the reptiles she brings in is an alligator. Now, it's a small alligator for those of you who you know, love swamp people. It wasn't anything like that. It was very tiny, about a foot and a half long. So it's kind of a baby alligator. And so she brings him in. And, you know, the kids are just thrilled. They're excited. They see the alligator. She begins to tell them about the alligator. And then the alligator starts making this croaking sound. And so, you know, the kids, being curious, they say, what, what's the alligator doing? And she says, well, sometimes when these small baby alligators get scared, they start croaking. It's a way of calling for their mother. And she assured us that the mother was not coming, you know, <laughs> which, was, which was good. And you can understand why the, why the alligator was scared in a room full of fourth graders. So, the, you know, the alligator was croaking. But, you know, one thing I noticed about the kids, they saw the alligator, they heard her talk about the alligator, they heard the alligator itself, but they were not satisfied, because what did they want to do? They wanted to touch the alligator. And she allowed them to do it on the tail, you know, so touch the tail. So, you know, my son, when he came home, that's all he talked about. One of the first things he talked about from this camp, he got to touch an alligator. You know, there are a few things that bring something home, bring something uh, into reality for you than being able to not only see it and hear it, but to touch it. And John is saying, this, this word of life, this, this life that was made manifest to us, this Jesus, we heard Him, we saw Him, and we touched Him. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke after the resurrection. Luke 24, verse 36. Jesus is about to appear to His disciples. and Just get the picture here. Verse 36. And it says, As they were talking about these things, talking about the resurrection, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Which is what the heresy, the false teaching, this is what was going around the church, that Jesus actually was not a man. He was just a spiritual being. You know, a, a common phrase was that if Jesus were to walk along the sand, He wouldn't leave any footprints. He just seemed to be a man. He seemed to have flesh. But listen to what Jesus says. He appears to him. He says, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And this is what He said to them. Why are you troubled? 
And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And so what we see here is Jesus had a body both before the resurrection and after the resurrection. And John is saying, I saw him, I heard him, and I touched him. And this is something very unique because all throughout the Old Testament, the people of God, they had heard of God and they've heard from God. God spoke to them. They even saw the presence of God manifested, but they never touched Him. Jesus was the touchable God. And John is saying, He was one who not only heard Him, saw Him, but also touched Him. He says in verse 2, that this life was made manifest and we have seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim it to you, proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. You know, if you turn on the news on any given day, there is going to be some uh, court case in the media. There's going to be some prominent or scandalous case that the news media is going to put forward. Somewhere in the country, there's going to be one of these court cases going on. And there's one going on right now. Uh, centering around a very tragic event. But if you turn on the court, I mean the TV, and, and you look at the news and you hear people talk about the court case, you hear a lot of speculation. And the reason you have a lot of speculation is because we were not there. We didn't, we didn't see what happened. And so what we're doing is we're trying to gather information, we're trying to piece it together in our mind, and then we almost have the whole thing put together, and then once the court case is over... That, that whole image, that whole scenario that you have in your mind usually is dashed to pieces because you just didn't have the facts. And in the court case, in order to solve the, the, the case, you have to have someone who has actually seen something or knows something or experienced something regarding the case, regarding the crime, right? And so, in order to be a witness... In order to testify about something that had happened, you have to actually have been a witness. You have to actually have been someone who saw something, or you know something, or you heard something, or you experienced something. And that's exactly what John is saying. John is saying, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. Let me take you back to the truth. This is the truth. And it is as if he's saying, without actually saying it, why are you believing people who did not see him and did not hear him and did not touch him? You don't be led astray by these false teachers. You need to go back to the source. You need to go back to those who saw him, who heard him, who touched him. So John is stressing his eyewitness account, because in the person of Christ, God became touchable. And He did so for a purpose. This is very significant. Because it is through the incarnation. It is through the incarnation that God took on what it means to be human. 
And one of the early church fathers said it like this. He said, for God to save us, he had to become what he wanted to save. So if he wanted to save mankind, he had to become a man. And that's exactly what the Son of God did. You know, the, inc- the incarnation is fundamental to Christianity. Without the humanness of Jesus, there is no redemption for us. If Jesus was not a man to represent mankind, there is no redemption for us. And that is why John is so adamant that the church understand how Jesus came into the world. So we see the evidences of truth. We see Jesus was from the beginning and this is how he came into the world. And next, John takes us to the effects of the truth. Okay, if this is true, and if this truth is lodged in your heart, what does that bring about? What happens to someone who is affected by this truth, who embraces this truth? So the first effect that we see that he mentions is that we have fellowship. If you embrace Christ, He's going to say, you have fellowship with both God and the church, those who believe in Christ. There's this fellowship that is effectual that happens when you embrace Christ. Look, at me, look with me at verse 3. He says this, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father, And with His Son, Jesus Christ. So the question is, what does He mean by fellowship? How does knowing Christ produce fellowship? One scholar said it this way. He said, fellowship is a specifically Christian word and denotes that common participation in the grace of God, the salvation of Christ, and the indwelling Spirit which is the spiritual birthright of all Christian believers. It is their common possession of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which makes them one. So what he's saying here is is fellowship refers to this relational matrix that we enter into through faith in Christ that we have both with God the Father and with others who share that common faith. And so when you come to Christ, you not only have this relationship with God and have your sins forgiven, but you're brought into relationship. You're brought into relationship with God and with other people who share that common faith. This scholar even said it this way. He said, The purpose of the proclamation of the gospel is, therefore, not salvation, but fellowship. Now when you first hear that, you may think, well, hold on a second. I thought when you tell someone about the gospel, the whole purpose is for them to be saved, for them to have their sin forgiven, for them to know Christ. And that is true. And he doesn't deny that. He's saying just it's more than that. It's when you come to Christ, it's not just about you. There's more people involved. At the very least, you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit in you. And most likely you have other Christians around you as well. And so what he's saying is when you embrace Christ, when you embrace the truth of Christ, One of the effects is that you are thrust into fellowship, relationship with God and everyone who shares that common faith. Which is a challenge for us in the Western world because we're very individualistic. We almost have this 
island mentality when it comes to our decision making. You know, that it's, it's all about me, it's my life, it's my choice. I can live it the way I want, but we have to realize that we live in a matrix. It's, everything is intertwined and connected, especially when it comes to knowing God. When you know God, you are thrust not only into relationship with God, but your relationship with all of God's people. And so it's all about fellowship with God and fellowship with others. So the first effect is fellowship. The second effect of this truth is found in verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. He ends this little introduction to the letter by saying, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so he's saying that the first effect of embracing the truth of Christ is fellowship. You're put into a relationship with God and others. But another effect is that you have joy. And not only do you have joy, but that he says, this joy is continually being completed as we see others embrace the truth of Christ. Arthur Pink said this, he said, for no true joy is or can be selfish. Just think about that. No true joy, no true happiness, no true gladness can be selfish. In other words, you can't, for you to have true joy and happiness, you cannot bottle it up. It can't be bottled up. Or it's not true joy. Let me just give you an example of this. Just think about when you've seen, maybe you saw just a fantastic movie. Or you were listening to the radio and you heard just a beautiful song. Or maybe you witnessed some just incredible event. What are you going to do? You're going to tell somebody. You're going to share it. You're going to post it on Facebook. You're going to call someone and tell them about it. When you see somebody next, you're going to... I saw the best movie. Or, have you heard this song? It is unbelievable. Or, did you see that piece of artwork? It's amazing. Why do you do that? Because when you experience the grandeur of whatever this event may be, it has to have an outlet. You have to share it for, for you to completely experience the joy that it brings you. It has to find its way out. And so you have to tell somebody. And so what John is saying is that when you embrace Christ, you are brought into fellowship with God and other people. And when you do that, you experience a joy that cannot be bottled up. And so he's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. In other words, as you all continue to walk in the truth, my joy becomes more mature. Which shows you how interconnected we are as believers. Think about it like this. If you're a Christian and you know something of the joy I'm describing... You know the joy that comes with knowing God. Then is it not true 
that as you experience personal fulfillment in Christ, that you simultaneously experience a burden for those who don't know Christ. So on the one hand, you are personally completely satisfied in Christ. Your joy is in some sense complete in Him. And yet at the same time, you are burdened by those who don't know Christ. So think about someone who doesn't know Christ. Maybe it's a family member or a neighbor or a co-worker or a friend. And now think of that person coming to know Christ. Would not your joy increase as you see that happen? And that's what John's saying. He's saying, if you, as you continue to walk in the truth of who Christ is, my joy, our joy, is actually completed in that. Let me ask you a question. Or a few questions. Are you in fellowship with God? Do you know something about this joy that I'm talking about? Are you in fellowship with God's people? Do you, do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Are you experiencing the joy that John's talking about here? You know, are, you, are you burdened for those around you that don't know Christ? Does your joy of knowing Christ make its way out of your life? Or are you attempting to bottle it up? You can't do it. If you bottle up your joy, you will lose joy. You can't have it both ways. To experience the fullness of joy is to let it out. We have to tell others about what brings us joy. So if you don't know Christ, you know, what, is, what is keeping you from entering into fellowship with God? Who are you believing about the nature of God and how you know God? It would make sense to go back to those who walked with Christ, who saw Christ, who heard Christ, who touched Christ, and see what they had to say about who Christ is. What is keeping you from entering into the fellowship with God's people? And I, I say that, and in one sense, if you're in, if you're in Christ, you're all automatically in fellowship with God's people. In other words, we have a common faith; we we share that, so we're connected. But at the same time, there can be things that could be hindering us from embracing it and experiencing it the way God intends. You know, what is it that could be keeping you from that? So John in this letter, we see at the first, in the first chapter in these first verses that John is taking us back to the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done. And he's showing us that joy can be found in knowing Christ. And my prayer for us this morning is that the fellowship of the people of this church with both God and one another would be so contagious that many others would be brought into this type of fellowship as well. Isn't that what you want? That we would experience the fellowship with God and one another in such a way that people would be drawn into it. That they would want to be a part of that. That they would understand and see who God is. And they would come into a relationship with Him. You know, my prayer is that, that we would experience, is that the joy that we experience will be ever-increasing as we continue to make Christ known to the city and as we see others enter into that fellowship. 
that's how our joy will be made complete. Is that as we see people walking in the truth, embracing the truth, coming into the truth. So join with me this morning as I pray toward that end. Lord God, we come to you this morning. On the one hand, we, we fully embrace this truth. At least many of us do. And I pray that if there's anyone who is uh, wondering about who you are and how to know you, that this morning that your spirit would be at work in such a way to, to magnify and clarify Christ, that they may run to you and experience the joy that comes with knowing you and knowing your people. And Lord, on the other hand, I pray as, as Christians that we would, we already have the joy, we already have the fellowship that comes with knowing you and, and each other. I pray we would experience it more, that we would, it would grow, it would be completed in us. As we grow in our relationship with you, as we grow in our relationship with one another, and as we proclaim to others what a great Savior we have. I pray that that would make its way out of our lives into the lives of others. That our joy may be made complete. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. For you this morning, if you, as you were listening to those words, as you read the scripture, if, you, if you're saying, you know, Ron, I don't have that joy. I don't have a relationship with God. Uh, but I want one. I'd be thrilled to talk with you about that. Or maybe you say, you know, Ron, I know I have fellowship with other people, with other believers who share the common faith, but I want to experience it. I want to plug into this church here at the Hill Baptist Church that our joy may be made complete. I encourage you to join us here as we are on mission for the glory of God. And as we stand and sing our final hymn, I'll meet you down front. If those are your any of those decisions you would like to make, or if you would simply like to have a word of prayer. So let's stand and sing together.